and welcome to the 21st podcast for Keen Minds. I am Jen, a.k.a. Takata Cycle. And I am, uh... <laughs> Sorry, Not guys, we're, we're a little giggly tonight. It has to do with Gina and marking territory. That's all I had to say. <laughs> One day we'll let you on in that little secret. Um, so I'm Tessa, and I have a blog called Criminal Minds. Uh, if Gina ever appears, we we promise that we let you on on, on my little joke. Uh, Jen is still laughing. <laughs> she she managed to say this right as I took a sip of my tea, and it just about went on my computer. It was great. Mm. So we're covering the uh, the fourteenth episode of the fourth season, which was um, the architect. Was the architect, uh, which was a uh, a Dave Metzger episode which i i was very much a fan of i'm a fan of uh of dave's work as he did drexel last year and that's one of my my fan favorites personally so tessa what did you think about the architect what are your opinions about the blacklister or the yeah. episode well, well, the, both Let's... i love the episode um, I know that we were talking between Drexel in another one of Metzer episodes and, and this one. I particularly love this one better. I think his, his handle on, on all the characters were, was awesome. Um, I love the way he, he yeah, did, you know, Red was, was absolutely amazing. Every character, it's like, I tell you, this season is getting, every time I, you know, get to an episode and I think, oh my God, this is the one I'm going to like the most of the season. You know, come the next one. I'm like, nope, I like this one better even. It's 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 become very even among all the characters and we're now getting finally they're they're laying out the little stones to get into Wrestler and Cooper, the last ones that haven't got a lot of, of episodes centered on them. I'm very excited. And and I love the blacklister. It, it was a terrific blacklister. There's something about guys well-dressed doing evil that is just awesome. You know, the, the, this guy and, the, and the, they got the black mask and the, and the hackers. It was, just, it was just a great episode. It had great action. Um, it, it advanced the mythology. And, and it gave a very interesting view of Red that we have only begun to explore this season so all in all i gotta say i loved it how about you well i i have to say that uh it had brent spiner in it and i'm a star trek girl mm -hmm. my my daddy raised me to be a trekkie <laughs> so mm -hmm. i grew up on the original series well i'm an original or I, I grew up on the original series and the next generation and while i'm an original series fan I data was always my favorite from Next Generation, and so it's I I'm a fan of uh, of Brent Spiner. I I very much liked the episode. I um it was it was very well rounded, as you just said. And one of the things, and for those that may not have tuned in to us before, um, I'm I'm a shipper, and Tess is a theorist, and so I. I, I do give that warning every now and again because a lot of where I come from is colored by the fact that I'm a shipper and I'm aware of that. Um, one of the things that I've been saying for a while is that I didn't feel like they needed to, with Redemption coming, I didn't feel like that it was necessary to break the cans apart because he was just taking a job and, and going and, and having a day job, basically. 
it was really no different than Liz getting her badge back and going back to the FBI. And they proved from the writing and the production standpoint in this episode, they are very capable and Ryan is very capable of doing it all. And so I noticed that the way that they filmed his, his scenes was very different. It was much, I don't want to call it choppy because that's got a, a negative connotation there, but it was uh, much shorter scenes. The, it, it just was a little different, but got the same amount of information, the same, you know, great acting, and they got it across, and you didn't have to have Megan and Ryan corresponding in the exact same moment. If they if their schedules didn't match up, that most of their conversations were over the phone, but it just goes to show that in Redemption they can do that. They can have Tom on the phone going, "Babe, I'll pick up the diapers on the way home." You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm in Brussels right now, but I'll land tomorrow at such and such time, and I'll pick up diapers on the way. You know? mm. Yeah, <laughs> gotta go. Someone's shooting at me. You know, I, I never got that where that came from. Uh, why would a man break up and abandon the family in a show that is about family just because he's going to take a job? I mean, I mean, really, Tom is outstanding at what he does. Then it would be like a star, a tennis star suddenly deciding, you know what? I think I'm going to go and become a biologist. Are you going to be a good biologist? Probably not. But, hey, I'm going to be a biologist. You're very good undercover op. Go be an undercover op because that's what you do well. Just do it legally so, so that you don't get your FBI wife in trouble, you know? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I, I, that, that was, um, I never got that. And, and I'm happy that they did this like this. We, we've been saying it for ages and ages that that's, and they did it. Um, I, one of the things I loved about, about the blacklister was, was Red's comment, uh, when Cooper demanded a blacklister. That was, funny. oh my God. That was such a great scene. Is- Cooper's just like, no, I want one now. I'm angry at you. Give me my blacklister. Give me one now. He says, it's not like ordering up ordering up super criminals like Chinese takeout was the phrase. And I'm just going, I love you. Thank you for that. It was it was it was absolutely great. And and I found um, you know, Red in this episode was totally off his game. Uh he's obviously being very um very taken with with what's going on and i found it interesting because a lot of the fans seem to think that the blacklist have got derailed that the blacklist have completely lost track of what's going no the simple difference is now we know what red's doing before we were in you know he was just offering this cool blacklisters and it took up until you know season uh, to episode 21 of the first season for people to start Oh, that's what he's doing. So this is no different. He's just giving blacklister sometimes because he wants something out of the blacklister. Sometimes because the blacklister poses uh, an obstacle to something he wants, and sometimes only because they want to divert their attention. You know, so he dangles some bright shiny object in front of him. This was like, okay, you want Chinese takeout? How about the blacklist? Uh, the architect is the one for the day. Yep. And he had nothing to do with him. He just knew about him. Well, we don't know that. I mean, it may come up later that there's a reason that he chose the architect of all the people that he could have chosen. True that. 
Yes, indeed. Here in another season, yeah. it may come back around. I mean, because yeah. we've seen it that two, three, three seasons later, we've got stuff you... from uh, from oh, what was the episode with the masks, the, the men in the funny masks? Um, oh yes, yes, um, yes. Um, that was um, that came out in the director. Yes, that came out in the director too. No. No, no that, that's when he said the man in the funny mask. Yeah. That was um, General um, General, General Lud. Yeah, General, General Lud. But there he said it, he referenced in the director part two. Exactly. Yep. And so uh, it's it, it. You never know when it's going to come back around. It, it looks like one thing, but it's smoke and mirrors. Mm. And so. One thing you you know when when uh, one thing that I loved about Isabella Stone. Uh, because this connected straight into <coughs> to Isabella Stone was that here we have uh, it was that people need to say oh they're recycling the the blacklisters no they're not they never done that usually what happens is you get blacklisters that are a distorted mirror to a blacklister in another season so this is Vanessa Cruz with a twist because Vanessa Cruz was targeting people who were guilty. This woman turned her vengeance into a business. And I, I thought it was very interesting the way they did that. It's just a slight twist. It's almost like you take a mirror and instead of having it one in front of the other, you just twist one a little bit. And now you get a distorted view of that. Very, very interesting. And, and as I'm, as I, I have a crazy theory for those of you who have not heard it. I'm not going to go into it here. But I do have a crazy theory, and if this is holds, and so far it has, it's amazing when you start, yes, you lose a little bit of the luster because, hey, if I figured it out, it's one thing. But the architecture, the way they write these things, the way they plot them, it's unbelievable. So I'm super excited, and, and I like the way they brought Isabella Stone as a kind of distorted mirror to Vanessa Cruz, and it, then it turned out that she was looking for a revenge on a crime that didn't exist. Okay, so who do you think hired Isabella Stone? Because it's someone that has access to Red's finances. I know that there's a lot of chatter about being Mr. Kaplan. I feel like that's so obvious, though. I mean, that, and I also don't feel like Kate is vengeful towards red if that makes sense like she, when she was in the the woods when she was describing what happened she didn't sound vengeful at all and and also because in that crossfire liz is right in the middle and she could get caught so yeah. i don't think that that would be her that's the most obvious explanation i would actually feel dembe more because dembe has been I think Demba's faith in Red has been taken. At the same time, I think that Dembe has a intense loyalty, so that sounds strange. That leaves Marvin Gerard. But Marvin has had nothing but, you know, he owes everything to Red. I'm not sure. So I'm thinking that we're going to find a situation similar to Berlin and Newton Phillips. So it's going to be somebody that we maybe have seen or not, or we may get distracted by something else. I doubt is anything that was as obvious as Kate. What and do you that, think? 
yeah, um, that's, Kate, I feel like, is very obvious. I feel like her loyalties are too much. I, I do not want to see Kate come back. Now, it could be that something has happened that her arm's being twisted on something. That's mm-hmm. a possibility. Um, but that's, I, I can't see her just choosing to go after Red. I can't see Denbei choosing to go after him because he's worried that Red keeps putting himself in danger. And if he's the one orchestrating everything, which I couldn't really see anyway in his character, mm-hmm. but even if he, you know, just was pushed to the limits and finally cracked, he's worried about Red. He's worried that Red keeps putting himself in danger and Red keeps putting himself in more and more danger the further he gets pushed. And so I think Denbei would not push him and it would not continue pushing him that way. Mm-hmm. Like you just said about Marvin, why? You know, what? what's the purpose? What's the point? Um, and so I thought Katarina might be the big bad at the end of the season, but if she is, I think it's going to take several more rounds to get to her. I think there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors to get to her, and then the last episode of the season. Again, why wouldn't she be putting Liz, who's working with Red, in danger? Maybe, but... Honestly, Red's put Liz in that kind of danger before. That's nothing that's that's abnormal in that that spy family lifetime. I yeah. mean, that's that's what they do. They um, call it training. Yeah. Get a hard day of the office. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get that those pictures from I think it was the second episode of Redemption with like Tom with blood down his face and everything. <laughs> that's what it is. Hard day at the office. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and so I I think that eventually it's going to lead to Katarina. It, it could be a situation like with Madeline Pratt where it's all foreplay for her. She's just trying to get his attention. And I could totally see that with someone like Katarina. Or I think that it's going to be someone else that we haven't met yet, we don't know, and Katarina's going to be the one coming in to help him. That is the only person I he, would like that. I, I would too. That'd be fantastic. I just feel like one way or the other, it's about to lead to Katarina because... Like, it would take John Bokenkamp sitting down across, you know, the table from me and going, Jen, I'm sorry, <gasps> Katarina is dead. And I still might not believe him. <laughs> what if next episode ends with Red, you know, barely alive, getting into a car? Like, Dembe tells you she's waiting for you. In, in, she's in the car and he goes, gets in the car and drives away. That would be awesome. And then we got eight weeks. We don't know if Red is alive or dead or who's she. Um, it, I, I, I truly like them. And I like Isabella Stone. I love the fact that Red chooses to torture her by putting her in a freezer. You know, Ice Queen, she, and she, had, she had so much fun killing. I, I found that story with, with Red and the husband that he saved, the accountant, very, very moving. It was interesting. It was... And, and something I just thought of with Red. Have you ever noticed that he... I hate to say he doesn't get his hands dirty, but he really doesn't. He freezes her out. He has Brimley torture most of his people. Mm-hmm. He very rarely gets messy himself. Uh, it's, it's kind of a big thing when he throws his own punch, even. It's... He has people to do everything, and it's it's just interesting on on the psychological level to to watch how he handles his business. Mm-hmm. And well, he... Fyodor, remember Fyodor with the, with the with the, the cigar, 
and a little story to go with it. Marnie Peterson, the first girl he smoked a cigar with, and he puts the, the vodka over him and then yeah. puts a cigar in his mouth. Ah, suspense is killing me. <laughs> yeah, and, and then every once in a while he does it himself. And I feel like those are, it makes those moments stick yes. a little more. When he gets his hands dirty, when he's, when it's not, and, and, I mean, he'll interrogate people like Isabella Stone, but... He wasn't torturing her person. I mean, he was and he wasn't. You know, he was letting the cold do it. But it's not like he shot her. It's not mm-hmm. like he was beating on her personally. Uh, he always lets other people do it for him. He lets the cold do its work. He lets this do its work. But, you know, he put the bag over Mr. Gray's face and smothered him in season one. He took it care of personal. the moles. Yeah. Whenever it's personal, he gets down to business. And I, I made a comment on Tumblr today. I said... I love Raymond Reddington. I would not like to piss Raymond Reddington off. He is not a teddy bear. <laughs> you know, nope. as much as people want to love our little Reddy bear, he is not. Unless he has Agnes Keene in his arms. That's about the only time. And even then, I wouldn't put it past him to pull a gun out and shoot. <gasps> he's, he's a bear. You know, I'm sure he looks cute and cuddly, but boy, I mean, he could rip you off. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, I, I also thought interesting because... Red, this is the second time that Red has made people believe that somebody close to him has been killed by him. As in Isabella Stone thought that Pruitt was, had been killed by him because she, he was his accountant. And it turned out that he just gave him a nice life separate and, and to protect her. See, I didn't and, understand how that protected her. Um... I guess because you didn't want the husband didn't want her life to be contaminated by that, so they staged his death, and he went on and got a different life, and eventually remarried. And she had been left behind, and I thought that was a very nice parallel for Red, because Red, I think, also has been a, doing a vengeance uh, um, over all these years. And over the curse of that vengeance, he had been becoming the hideous fish. Well, that that kind of leads into to the next portion pretty well. Do you think Cooper, with all of his statements throughout this episode, because he, he just kind of never let up. And he started last episode with Isabella Stone, with his mm-hmm. just wailing. And we talked about last week. I... I wanted people to give Red a break last week. Even I was going, could you just give this poor man a break? And just give him a hug, give him a blanket, you know, just give him a, a shock blanket. Just give the poor man a break. What did you think about this week with Cooper and, and Cooper's comments to him, especially at the end? I It's, it's, it's what I was saying. I think that Red, and I made a post about it, how red is actually worse than most people think in many ways and better than most people think in many ways. He makes, he gets, derives a lot of his power from seeming to be crazy, reckless, and totally able to do crazier and violent things at the drop of a hat. Everybody, has a, everybody has a way they want to be perceived. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, and that is the persona that Red has created. And yet I find interesting that, you know, at this point, a lot of the people are acting under the impression that he killed Emma, that he killed the accountant. God knows how many of those others 
kills are there that they're just living nicely somewhere else? I wonder, after Cooper's reaction to him, if Liz told him about Kate. Like, I know that he probably doesn't know Kate personally. I, I can't remember and recall the time when Kaplan and Cooper have ever met. But if Liz came to him and said... At the funeral. Hmm? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he would have met her at the funeral. Um, but if Liz came to him and said, he killed this woman. You know, just giving him a heads up. Because I could see that. I can't see her talking to the rest of the team about it, but I could see her telling Cooper. I don't know. I think there is something else going on with Cooper. I do wonder. I can see. I can, you know, with a blacklist, usually I can start seeing things like almost like wispy figures in the, in the fog that you kind of see. You you perceive something, but you're not quite you know, ready to identify them. So I've been seeing this ever since Cooper kind of came back and, and, and you know, we saw the thing with, with, with Kirk. But even before, throughout season four, Cooper has been working towards something. There's been this, this little things here and there. And I do wonder what's that going to be. Because my personal feel is that Ren is going to have to take Cooper into his trust and say, listen, this is what I'm doing. And that would be interesting. I I do think that if Red were to confide in Cooper, it would make things a lot easier. Because at this point, Cooper feels very used. I think that he feels betrayed by Red. He developed a respect for him. And after that conversation about letting Liz go, I feel like at this point he doesn't feel like that's happened. In fact, he feels like Red's continued to just use everybody around him. It's the comment that he made. I actually wrote the quote down because it was really good. Uh, There were two of them. Um, But the the big one was, uh, you want to know why those closest to you betray you. Why you're alone and hunted. It's because even the even when you try to do something good, you can't seem to understand where your selfishness ends and other people's lives begin. And that just it was one <laughs> Harry Linux. Oh my god. Harry yeah. freaking Linux. <laughs> that well yeah, that that man when he gets into those kind of scenes, he kills them. All bow down to Harry Linux. Uh it was so impressive. I just I sat there going, damn, <laughs> okay then. <laughs> it's, I, I didn't know, because like, I, I agreed with him, but I also was like, Red looks like a kicked puppy right now. How did you just make the concierge of crime look like a kicked puppy? <laughs> it, it also reminds me of a, of a very specific quote from season one. Uh, right, uh, I think it's one 20 or 121 character mm-hmm. Liz tells him almost the same thing she uh, says was season two season two I'm sorry yes season two but every you got me out of the post office you gave me a chance to prove my innocence I know you think you care about me but every time you do something that makes me think you really do you do something else that remind me that you simply are incapable of it and then later in that episode, after everything went down, she says, you're a sin eater. 
that whole You're thing basically. came out. Yeah. So I think we're going to work up to something where there's a realization that Cooper doesn't have a piece of the puzzle that he thinks he does have. And yeah. so I, I think you're right there. I think that something's going to happen where Red's going to have to confide in Coop and yeah. it's going to be nice. It's, oh gosh, that's going to be a great scene. I love those scenes with James and, and Harry and them. Oh they my just, God. Yeah. Especially when they get right down to it. They're awesome. You know, it's, 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 you get actors of that caliber and they, they feed of one another. It's just awesome. But I, I thought that that was interesting because Red, at that point, Red says to Liz, because he's hurt and he's angry, says, you know, I'm a senator. And at that moment, you know, that scene of mine and in that moment, I, I knew that Liz had done something horrible and, and Red was taking all this. And I've always said Red wasn't the one who stole the fulcrum. He's just covering for whoever it is. Red has spent his entire life protecting. And yes, he's manipulative and he is and he can seem selfish because he's focused on the end and the end justify the means. But those those two things that, that we just talked about, I think they're going to come and play, and that's going to be Cooper's um, next big arc that we're going to get into it. And that's going I think it's going to be very meaty and, and super exciting. I, I'm loving this season. I'm loving it. Um, let's see what, something interesting was his, uh, his reaction to Rom. And I saw this being commented on over on Tumblr because he just kind of brushed it aside. He was like, well, Aram's gone. That's a problem for me. And it's like, Aram is in a really crappy position right now. And that's a problem for you? We're sorry, your highness. You know, <laughs> it's everyone kind of looked at him like, really? <laughs> Priorities, Red. Priorities. It, it's a... Uh... And, and that is a very good example, I think, because, you know, when I say Red has been spiraling, it's because Red has been losing his north. And it's it's not just, you know, an emotional thing for me. I think Red, you know, to me, some people say it started with Kate. There's some people who I think is Blacklister 214. It's, it's, she holds the opinion, started with Red. With Kate's murder. Well, I think that there's so much going on after Liz fakes her death. Because he calls her in early season three. He says, you know, you're my way home. When, when mm -hmm. you know, when I, I see that, I think of my, you are my way home. I don't remember the quote verbatim, but mm -hmm. it's, that that's the gist of it, is that she's his North Star. Mm -hmm. And when he thought he lost her, I think it started that spiral, and I don't think he's ever really recovered from it, because there's still a chasm there between them that he can't fix. He doesn't know how to fix. I, I think that he can't, without just fessing up everything, which he doesn't feel like he can do yet, he can't fix it. He's got to be honest with her to do that. And we don't know what he's holding quite yet, and so oh, we why? don't... Yeah, and so therefore we don't know why. Therefore we can't... I don't feel like as a viewer, like, I want to judge him on that. I do judge him on that pretty regularly. But I have to kind of pull myself back and go, I don't know why he's doing this. He could have a fantastic... And he probably does have a fantastic reason for doing it. Now, could he take a different path? Sure. Tom found a different path to take. And when he did, they started rebuilding their relationship. As soon as Red decides whatever he's being 
honest with Liz and fixing his and Liz's relationship is either as important or more important than whatever he's hiding, they'll start on the upswing again. Well, I, I think that the, the, the answer to that, to that is Tom had an apple in the air. He was juggling one apple, Liz Love. You know, at another one when Agnes was born and there was only Agnes and Liz to consider. So I think that for Tom, even though emotionally it was very hard to start trusting, in a way it was it was much easier than for Red because Red has other responsibilities. Yeah. He kept he kept you know, we all keep forgetting right on schedule with Liz because that's the way the writers and the blacklist do things. They show them to you so you cannot say, Oh, you well, well we were never told yes, you were. Uh, but then, you know, they kind of like let it slide and then you forget about it. When Liz says, you know, talk about vulnerabilities, Liz immediately jumps me and says, among others. So there's others out there that Red is protecting. So it is, I think, much harder for Red to come clean to Liz because the safety of others mm-hmm. is concerned. It's not his secret to tell in a lot of cases. Or is that secret, if he were to trust in Liz with it, Liz might not be prepared. Liz might do rash things. That Liz acting rashly, yeah, that never happened. Uh, and 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 might compromise other people. I mean, let's assume for a second, right, that my theory is correct in the in the part that Emma is Jennifer. Let's just assume that for a second. What do you think would have done Liz with that information if said, Hey, listen, you're half sister or sister, it's uh. And she's gone dark, and I needed to go in there to get her. Oh, Liz would have gotten in so much trouble because she would have been emotionally involved already. I mean, she even, if, probably... even if she knew she was just Jennifer, if she didn't know she was related to her, if, you know, just Jennifer, she would have been emotionally involved. And she would have been trying to pick her brain for everything while undercover. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would have been a mess. Yeah. So imagine this. if imagine if you are as Jennifer and she's your half sister. And by the way, you know, let's assume that my theory is correct. And Carla is your mom, and you already met her. And you know, eventually, I'm gonna tell you everything. She will go bananas. She will go information <laughs> dump. <laughs> yes. And and Liz is impulsive. Liz needs time to cool off. And I bet if that was the case when she was four years old and two years old, and now that she's in her 30s, she's exactly the same person. So oh, um, I, I do get it. It's like Red has many apples in the air. He's juggling, I don't know, five, six, seven of them. So you can't judge them the same way. But, yeah, I mean, I can see that that yeah. this, this these things are converging. For me, his spiraling began when Liz got pregnant. Mm, I agree. And I, I think that part of the spiraling was everything about that pregnancy, including Tom, the father, Tom being a good father, Tom wanting to keep the child, Tom fighting for his child, was such a shock for him because in his mind, Tom was Katerina and Katerina had betrayed him and Liz was suffering for it and therefore Tom was like that and I think it was a paradigm shift in his mind 
so we were talking about about um quotes a second ago there's there's one more before we move into a rom um oh, it, there was I an guess. interesting a potential parallel uh anybody that listens know that i'm obsessed with parallels i love parallels parallels and body language those those are my i love them um but one of the things that cooper said he said uh doing doing thing doing good for selfish reasons doesn't make you good it makes you good at being selfish and the tagline they've been using for redemption is doing bad for good. I wonder if that distinction is going to be something that they draw between Tom and Halcyon and Red's organization. I wonder if it's if they meant to draw it. I and I could be stretching. That that could be a stretch, but it just it kind of set off a little ping in my brain when I heard him say that. No, I I think I think that that has been a a big theme on the blacklist is you know does the end justify the means is is are we in a, is moral relativism uh, an okay thing and I think if you got a perfect character for that which is wrestler wrestler is going to be delving into that pretty good because I suspect he's not going to get Hitchens uh, with the law. I've wondered. So. A rom or cinnamon oh, roll. Oh, a rom. Uh, before we go, well, we can touch on on that uh, on on Red's reaction to a rom, but definitely a rom was killed it in this episode. Literally, Amir Arrington <laughs> he pulled out the gun and shot. <laughs> yeah, and I love that because we have seen Aram going from season one when he was, you know, he was doing Aram's note because he killed a terrorist who was killing people left and right. And he was still so conflicted about it Mm -hmm. that he had to go and take notes and go to a therapy and all that to, uh, you know, not being able to push the bottom in Gaia. I mean, and that was just you, I mean, few episodes ago Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme. But yeah, he began to lose his innocence. Yeah, and I think that Elise jarred him. And then suddenly he's pushed into the situation where he's not only undercover again, but he's undercover with her, without warning, and they're working together. And something interesting, I I know a lot of people have tried to, to pull parallels between Elise and, and Tom, and, you know, to do it very small degree i mean because there's just the time difference is so huge but something that i was thinking about um last night when the episode was on was that i don't think these covert operatives that have been doing these kind of things for years are used to facing the consequences the aftermath of what they do tom wasn't used to seeing the aftermath he did his job and he left and whatever was left in his wake was in his wake and so seeing what, especially after he fell in love with Liz, seeing what that did to her, I think really shook him on a level and continued more as he continued on, continued to shake him as he developed more of a soul and humanized more. I think with Aram, Elise, that was Elise's first time where she had to deal, where she had to look a victim in the face and go and, and answer for it, if that makes sense. And so I think that was one of the things that pulled the, you know, that that she was sorry. 
from her. Yeah, that 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 moment at the end was probably you know as good as as I think Aram is gonna get. I love her character. I would love seeing her go into redemption, but I think that I like her uh, for the NSA because that was obvious. Um, that 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 was gonna go in there. I love Samar's just... reaction to her. That bitch. <laughs> She's right here. Hi, Samar. <laughs> yeah. It 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 just. Uh... I also love Aram. Aram is one of the, the, I've always said, of all the characters that are in the post office, Aram is this one most singularly well-suited for the kind of job that they're doing because Aram has a very, very moral sense and he he does what he thinks is right. He doesn't care about what the book says or what society says. He does whatever his conscience tells him to do, and I think that that will be more or less protect his his somewhat innocence because of that. He doesn't have as much to lose as wrestler, for example, who had total trust and confidence in the law and got the wake up call that no, these people are the law and they are criminals. Well, I mean, Aram is also a hacker, and so, I mean, there, it's a little bit more morally ambiguous. I mean, mm-hmm. not that I think he really is. Like, I, I'm sure he's very much an ethical hacker. So, I mean, he was willing to look down the barrel of a gun and go, I'm not committing a crime for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, that takes guts. It really does. Well, I, I think that the, the Aram we, first, we met at first, he's being very comfortable being a hacker. He was always behind a computer. He never had had to face uh, danger. And he gets to the post office. Not that long afterwards, there is Anslow Garrick there. He has to go and kill a guy. Then he's, he's, you know, he sees people that he loves and uh, being compromised and killed and almost dead and I think the growth for him has been such it was it has been very well done, exceptionally well done. And now do you think on. that they're growing him towards a place where he and Samar will make sense? I think so because he would, you know, for all he I always said he's not a coward. You know, Aram in his way is 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 a very brave man. He takes gods for a geeky guy to confront the director of national intelligence. Oh, you know, gosh, th- yes. th- that was brave. And, and he's always, and, and more than that, he's always been the kind of bravery that is able to tell a friend, to confront a friend about something he thinks is they're doing wrong. Oh, he's, he's, he's Neville Longbottom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's Neville. <laughs> yes. And, and he's, he's so... So into that, I mean, he's able to tell Liz, like, um, you know, what you did hurt me. I'm going to help you, but what you did hurt me. He tells Wrestler, you know, what are you, you, you what you did in, in firing Samar was wrong. He he tells uh, Wrestler at the beginning, I believe in Liz's innocence. He's a man who stands by what he believes. And, and that takes a, a, a courage, very different kind of courage for being shot at. But in a way, it's just as courageous. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, Samar and he had that conversation a couple episodes ago where they were talking about the pay gap. And she finally admits, she's like, no, you deserve what you get here. You you do so much for us. Mm-hmm. And, he gets and him out of life. 
Yeah, he does. He, without him, I would have been dead a hundred times over. <laughs> so many times. Uh, so it, it's a, it's a, I, I find, I find that, that they've done amazing. I think that they will be getting both of them into a space where they can exist better. She's, I think, no, I'm not going to say tamed, but she's also finding that maybe the choices that make sense for her when she was younger, when her brother and her parents have been killed by terrorists, now may not function in a world where she had found that the, her brother was one and that things are not always the way they seem. So I think that they're both moving into, like Liz and Tom, they're moving into a space in the center or in the middle of them. Yeah. But Red situation with Aram, because Red has a great affection for Aram and respect for Aram. And I think that... come across in this episode. (laughs) No. And, And that's what I was talking when I was going about the spiraling. That's spiraling it's more than killing Kate it's more than Liz faking her death I that's what I keep coming back to it is about Liz pregnancy and it was about what he had to realize with Tom Red growth as a character has come more more evident with Tom and because Tom was Katerina and now he has realized that maybe he has misjudged Katerina maybe his entire life has been predicated on Katerina betraying me, Katerina didn't love me, and now she's slowly changing that tune. Maybe she did love me. Maybe she was changing. Maybe she had a reason for the things she did, and I just never bothered asking her or listening to her. And and if you you base your life in that, that's a huge change. I mean, that's something that Tom has had to do, change Everything that he believed for his life. That's something Samar has had to, to do. Change everything they believe. And Liz. Definitely Liz on her end. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that they're giving Wrestler to examine those choices. Because those choices made when you were a kid and, you're, and, you're, and your dad is killed may not serve you very well when you have learned so much about the world. I, I am really excited. I thought for a while that he that they're building something towards Hitchin because she just, every time he sees her, he's just twitching and like, I'm going to get you. And I'm like, wrestler, sweetie, sneak attack, <laughs> you know, sneak attack, Russ. Yeah. Stop broadcasting your plans. Wrestler need to read the art of war. I mean, every character in the show should give him a big copy of the art of war. Read it. Every night, the whole thing. Then next morning, read it again. Because you, you're only, you're master of the things you hide and a slave of the things you say. Yeah. And he doesn't get it. No. And it's, and I get why. It's very in character form. He's very much a... Impulsive. Well, he's a Captain America, you know? (laughs) I mean, he really is. He's He's a Boy Scout. He is the Boy Scout. And... And I love him for it. I do. I adore him for it. Because there's something refreshing about his honesty. He's just going to blatantly tell you what he thinks about you. Not because he's mm-hmm. trying to hurt your feelings, but because, well, that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's it's refreshing in some senses, but not when you're working in the intelligence community. And Nathan yeah. Hale was America's first spy. The legend goes that he 
basically was asked if he was a spy, and because he was an honest man, told them yes. <laughs> That's not a good choice. Life. No, he, he was hanged. Um, <laughs> and... It's that's not a good life choice for someone in the intelligence community, and that's wrestler kind of reminds me of that, and that's actually a huge compliment because I love Nathan Hale. Um, but he kind of reminds me of that, just like, well, here's the question, and he's like, well, here's the answer. No, don't tell them that answer. <laughs> You've got to play the game. Yeah. Everybody else but you is playing the game. You've got to figure out what the rules are, or else you're going to get swallowed up by it. And he's been pushed so hard towards that. And you and I have talked about off the podcast that he's going to have to make some decisions soon. And I think I, I think you said earlier that um, you think he's going to go outside the law to avenge Revan, didn't you? Yes, I, I don't think that he will uh, find within the law any evidence. Um, because who could give her the, that? Who could give him that evidence? Um, Solomon. So that would be an interesting thing because mm. Solomon also doesn't have a lot of warm affection for Reverend Wright, for um, Lauren Hitchens. No. So that would be an interesting teaming up if they ever decide, you know, that would be a great way to come back for that double episode is the end of Laurel Hitchens. So that would be a lovely way to go. I she would totally get behind that. I mean, because as much as Tom and Solomon will snark, oh my gosh, in, in which Tom's suddenly trying to stop these two from killing each other, he might just let him go at it at this point. <laughs> He's already well, stopped it, it once. <laughs> imagine imagine an episode where you're getting uh, Red Wrestler uh, Tom and Solomon getting at Hitchens. Well, it's like a had, dream. It is. It's lovely. I hope that yeah. fills my dreams tonight. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. That would be just great because, I mean, I can see where that would go. It would just be just great. Um, so, the, I, I'm, you know, I, I think that that all this wrestler, it's, it's moving to this. He's going to have a hard time getting to her from the law. And once he gets him from outside the law, he is just like Red. Wouldn't it be interesting if he goes over to Halcyon and goes, I can't do this from the FBI. What do you guys know? Mm. I, I would love to see Wrestler on a crossover in the middle of Halcyon. I That would just make my day. My, yeah, my Tesla bromance heart would just soar. It would be great. Uh, because, I, I mean, at this point, I think that, that wrestler is being faced with three alternatives, either just completely give up and go fish or become, a, you know, stockbroker or whatever. B, go outside the law and, 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 and start understanding that some things you can do. And the third one is just to be killed yeah. because he can't shut his mouth when he has to. And probably take his team down with him. If he's not careful, because, I mean, he almost did with Liz in season three, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers here, but he made some pretty big mistakes in that. <laughs> I mean, he, tr he trusted the wrong, he, what was it that Tom said when they were huddled down? He said, oh, you just did what you thought was right, even if you were wrong, even if you were dead wrong, <laughs> you know? And that's, that basically summed it up. Yeah. And... I it's it's just who he is. So I think that when they get into the wrestler arc, which, by the way, 
I don't think that it's going to be very soon because they've been just beginning to drop the little things. And they do this for a long time before paying off. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is for season five and they just dropping little things meanwhile. And meanwhile, they're going to get us into his family and his situation uh, with that part of him. Because you're not going to have a full meltdown into the part where he has to reevaluate his life until he also goes into that part of life that seemed to disappear in his life, his, his family. Yeah. It's being all about work. And the thing is, like we said last week, they're bringing his family back into this. That is a theme of the show. It's a major theme of this show. Cooper's daughter is being brought in. That's a major theme of the show. Mm -hmm. Family. Family. When you mm -hmm. see family start to appear in the, they're not minor characters, but the, the secondary characters besides Liz and Red. When you start to see family appear, that's when you know they've got something coming. It's like a mm -hmm. big flashing neon light saying, look here, we're about to do something fun with this character. Yeah. I, and I, I love also that they we got a parallel this week, which you found out. I did. I had such a little happy moment at my desk texting Tessa and going, I found a parallel. <laughs> Seriously, like she has to deal with me during the day texting her on Tumblr going, parallel. <laughs> parallel. But uh, the they, they paralleled Russ and Liz very nicely uh, with last week's episode and this week's episode. You had the parallel with him talking on the phone during during the office hours, during the the op, uh, the the case with his brother, with his family, you know, he, talking to his mom about his brother's surgery, which was a family emergency, a fam family drama, family issues, not like in a bad way, but I mean, it wasn't a bad way, but not like a negative towards him way. He was being pulled between having to find that balance, and then this week you had Liz doing the exact same thing. Tom's having this crisis, family crisis, that's what I was looking for. Tom's having this crisis on his end with his family coming, you know, coming back out of the woodworks and him finding out that everything he thought he knew wasn't true. And so she's on the phone while at the office talking to her husband and trying to make sure he's going, not going to spiral out of control without her there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you've got these, this nice parallel of handling family crises and balancing it with the with the work with the case and finding that balance and trying to do it without sabotaging both sides of it it was really nice i liked seeing both of them do that yeah and and i i i, I whenever i see a, a parallel a mirror situation i get very happy because that goes into the themes you know and it's amazing as i've done rewatches here and there how many of those mirrors, actual people or things used as mirrors, are there all throughout the blacklist? So whenever you see something being reflected, a big mirror in the wall, look for a parallel because it's there. Yep. They don't put them in there just as decoration. Trust me on that one. It's like the plaids. Oh, the plaid. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved that. Um, and so that, that kind of leads us into the Keens right there. And... Mm. And the whole, I, I just, I feel like I've been wanting to hug a lot of the characters recently. It's like, just give these poor guys blankets. They're going through such a rough go of it. Uh, poor Tom, he's just had his whole life sort of upended. He, he feels like he's just gotten his life settled, and then all of a sudden it's upended. 
And thankfully, his wife is a master of wanting to find out about her past. <laughs> it's like, if anybody can help him through this, it's Elizabeth Keene. And I'm, I've been so proud of her because you've seen these little pieces of character development and the way she's approaching him on it. And, you know, she's not just bulldozing over him like she might have in season one. And she she's quiet she's kind of guiding him versus just blasting past but she's also not letting him she's not letting him run tom's a runner he's admitted that he that's what he tried to do at the very beginning when he found you know when his father first died quote unquote died you know terry o'quinn <laughs> um but fake death okay another fake death and then Christopher Hargrave's fake death. Um, but he he was ready to bolt on that and just get as far away from it as possible, convince himself he was not interested, not a fan, did not want to know it. And Liz is like, well, let's take a different direction here, honey. And let me, you know, here's this. And just gently guiding him rather than trying to, you know, grab mm-hmm. him by the shirt collar and drag him into something. <laughs> it's her approach to people has gotten so Soft. much better and especially with him and it's it, i think it boils down to their communication now it really does when, when she communicates well with people she is softer she's she's just better at it when there's that open communication there yeah because liz is very much red's daughter she's she's manipulative in and in, in, in a she's a bulldozer prettier but a bulldozer nonetheless I mean, she just makes people do what she wants them to do, you know, and that is something that has changed. And I think that comes with trauma. I think that as she discovers the things that she has done, she's getting better at understanding her own limitations and who she is and what she wants. Yeah. And so, and I I was also very proud of Tom because I have to, seeing his character development praises because you know how deeply I like to get into his head. Mm-hmm. The, we've seen in the last several episodes with him talking about how difficult it is to share these fears. And we, we've seen this since season two where he goes out of his way. Once he decides he's going to be honest with her, he just goes all in. You know, that's not dear blood on the, on the window shield. That, you know, mm-hmm. Bill McCready was just murdered in our apartment and I just buried him. You know, <laughs> these, here are my passports that I that thought I was throwing away. Just these things that he might have gotten away with that he's going out of his way to tell her. And I love how even in the middle of his spiraling, he's making sure to acknowledge Liz was right, he was wrong, and he does care about this. He does. He may not understand it, he may not want to, but he does care and he needs these answers. And acknowledging that she was right in that is just huge. It's, it puts, you know, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but I'm looking at it from the world that, like, he comes from, the world Red comes from, where control is such a huge mm-hmm. thing. It puts the control in Liz's court of you were right, I was wrong, I've been basically lying to myself and trying to convince myself this doesn't matter, and you called it. I also think that 
I find interesting that Liz didn't even seem to be off-putting by, you know, my mother-in-law tried to abduct me. It's just par for the course with this family. <laughs> I mean, her would-be father tried to abduct her and did, and tried to murder her husband several times in one day, and tried to murder her real dad a couple of times in that. Her real dad tried to murder her husband once. Once he's actually legitimately tried. Um, Tom's taken a shot at, at Red. I mean, like, this family. What is it Tom said at the christening? The, this dysfunctional family and yeah, trying to kill well, each other every now and again. Yeah, to kill each other. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, at the end, I think we're going to see that the blacklist is very intensely personal. This is all about a family. And boy, will yeah. those Christmases and Thanksgivings be... <laughs> Yeah, wait, get a little alcohol and everybody going. Well, what Red says, I don't go to family reunion because Uncle Scott gets drunk by noon and uh, our, our body is, is somewhere and then there's an on that is and somebody got the, the hand in the wrong cookie jar. And... He and Howard will be out. They've, I noticed that the Keens now have a little mini porch, uh, one of those, uh, what do they call it, the Juliet porches mm-hmm. um, the, the outside there, yeah. the really small um, small porches out there. It'll be Red, Red and Howard out there smoking their cigars with their, you know, their brandy or their whiskey or whatever they drink, <laughs> hiding from everybody else at the Christmas party. <laughs> oh, it, it, it would be hilarious. And not to mention, you know, people shooting each other in the arm and oh, racing they, each other. They would have to have a check at the door, like you, like Kaplan taking up the guns and the cell phones. <laughs> Someone's going to have to take the guns at the door. Well, I can imagine the grandparents teaching Agnes to shoot when she's three years old. And, and Tom and Liz are going, no, no, we have a five-year-old limit there. <laughs> she's not allowed to touch a gun until she's at least five. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, if he, she's not this high, she cannot get a gun. <laughs> you cannot ride the ride unless you're this tall. You cannot shoot the weapon unless you're this tall. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see it. Um, there, there is, um, let's talk about Tom. Well, there's something really fast, um, before getting into that. Did you hear the song at the end when the Keens are talking? It's Mm -hmm. called Barracuda. It's, uh, Haley Ross. And the first, you can't hear it very well because they're talking over it, but the first line is, I went swimming. And my ears kind of perked up with that. I went, huh? You know, because you've got the theme with Tom with swimming uh, and learning how to swim. I just thought that was very interesting. And I was wondering if, you know, it might just kind of be one of those small hints towards, you know, the continual redemption arc. Yes. Water is a very, very difficult symbol to, to, um, to understand what it means in the blacklist because it is associated with red. It is associated with Red's partners, people who are in the same path as Red. So whenever I see a character that has lots of nautical things, I know at the end this character is going to be aligned with Red, not with the others. Um, so Tom not knowing how to swim and then that picture of him, the promotional picture, which by the way, I did a post about it. You see how the, the season three posters have carried on still through season four. 
That's why they didn't do new new poster new photos because the three characters are off kilter, Dembe, wrestler and Red and and uh, and Cooper. All three, their world is upside down, and they don't know that everything is being reevaluated. It's very interesting, um, and I think that Don that. Tom not knowing how to swim and then you're getting all this little swimming things. He was all wet. He's hand at a helm, you know, putting my hand on the helm of my destiny. And if you look at the picture, it's photographed so that the window looks like a helm and his hand is just touching it. And he's on a floor that looks like water and he's drenching wet. And I think it symbolizes that he went over one other side. He, he's on, on a lighter side. Yeah, he's, he he learned to swim. I I am looking for. I, I think on the metaphorical route, he's learned to swim. I but I I can't imagine when he would have had the physical time to learn to swim, and so I'm I'm really looking for because I think we're gonna find out in Redemption because there's a there's been some behind the scenes of him in a, a wetsuit with uh with Solomon. Hey, I swear, I think imagine that on the day as Liz said about the the Nazi tattoo and he took it off the next day. I imagine that as soon as Liz says, you know, I, you don't know how to swim. Next morning, he was in the, in the swimming lesson. See, you you and I have talked about that before. I think actually last week on the podcast. And I, I understand where you're going with that. I also think that if there's a spy that has gone through intense spy training like he has, that has managed to avoid all swimming lessons up until he was 30 years old, then you know what? I mean, because you, you know that, that Bud had swim training at St. Regis. And so Tom had to have purposefully gotten around that to not be able to swim. And so now, there's got to be some sort of trauma there that keeps him from doing it. Or he knows how to swim, but for reasons unknown, has never wanted to tell Liz that he could. Or it was a lie or something he didn't want to do or couldn't do, and he just was caught saying, oh, I don't know how to swim. And then he couldn't just say, hey, Guess what? I just learned in my dreams. I hope not, because I think it'd be very fascinating. Because, I mean, apparently three-year-old little Christopher Hargrave loved the water. And so I think it would be fascinating to see why 30-year-old Tom Keene can't swim. Yeah, he loves the water. He wanted to go to the beach. He bought a mm-hmm. boat. Yep. So he still he loves the water. He that water. <laughs> not, not above the waist, probably. Um but okay, so go, going into Tom, um, he's uh, we, we talked a little bit about him spiraling, him trying to deal with all these emotions that that he has that he's battling because he's not what? parallel. Oh yeah, imagine that. Um, so many of them are dealing with you know rocking back and forth emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that caught my eye is that, or ear, eye, both, he did not realize that Games's mother was lying to him. Liz had nope. to point that out. He missed it. And you kind of saw that on his face. He's like, she lied to me. Like, how did I miss this? This is so obvious. <laughs> and then it's, he... it's one of the trademarks of the, of the psychopathic tendencies is, is you know that's one of the most widespread is people who have an ability to read others. Living lie detector, and he's made his li- living off of being able to read others. He's a covert operative. He can tell. He can not only tell a lie himself. He can tell a lie out of someone else's mouth. And so you saw the shift 
in being very passive the first time that he goes to visit her, and then just, what was it? I have to make an apology, <laughs> slams the door. <laughs> I loved it. It's, but I, I'm curious what there, what is going to happen that's going, because right now he's off kilter because of every, and, and I don't blame him. I mean, he's just been walloped with this. And he's, he's as I believe it was Blacklister over on uh, on Tumblr said, he's an emotional novice. He, he's not used to this yet. And so he's struggling with this, but what is it that's going to steady him enough to be able to go undercover with his mother? He's going to find his father is alive. And somehow that's going to steady him. And I'm wondering how that's going to... How Howard will steady him. It's going to be interesting. I'm really excited to see how they're, they're working that out. And I found something else that, you know, we've been talking about, you know, here and there. I noticed something in that, in, in Tom, this episode. You know, his, his arc is now a little paralleling red because both characters have off their game. They haven't noticed that things have been going on around them. Red was taken by surprise by the ships, by by Baldur, by Isabella Stone, by everything around Red is falling, and he doesn't even. Denver says he, I don't recognize him. I cannot reach him. He's missing things, and people are dying around him because he's missing things, things that Red would not have. Mm -hmm missed before and I think is they stem from exactly the same thing as what is happening to Tom Tom is is like this because his world has been rocked in order to read people well you have to in a way because because I read people fairly well and I think you do too and if you really think about a situation when you are we're not in danger. I mean, nobody's trying to kill us or anything like that. But any situation where you go, uh, you know, I remember when I was single and I had to know whether that person that I was dating had good intentions or bad intentions. There is a kind of stillness that you need around you. And once you have that stillness, you can hear and see the signs. And... Tom used to have that stillness and Red used to have that stillness. But they don't anymore because their core had been rocked and they don't have stillness when you're because you're moving. You're in choppy waters. Mind I, is and always I find, moving. Their minds are always whirling, trying to catch up. And yeah, yeah I love that. That's so perfect. It's, it's like they, you know, you're in a boat that is moving and you can't find your north you can't direct the boat because you don't have stillness and if you look at you know cooper is going through something wrestler is going through something uh, samar just went through something and it's all like this this whole thing is moving and we're going towards this giant everybody's like converging on a on a spiraling um vortex in I found interesting that Tom did not see that. I saw that and I said, oh my God, he is so off his game. That's exactly what I said as well. Look at yeah. the roomie. I said, did he just miss the fact that Lady Light? Okay. <laughs> it was obvious. It was evident. I mean, this woman was like, so she was not even that good a liar. Did you recognize her? The actress? No. She's from Twister. 
I never saw Twister. Oh, well, that would do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, for, for anybody listening, she was Aunt, I don't remember what, Aunt Joe, I think? I, I don't remember, I think it was Joe. Uh, but it was the aunt off Twister, because that was my first response as soon as I saw her. I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> I love when they bring characters like that, that you have loved somewhere else. It's yeah. just well, awesome. It's funny. I'm going back. I'm doing a, a slow rewatch of Friends right now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, um, I feel like there's someone from the writing team that's that used to work on Fringe. I don't remember who it was, though. Um, but Glenn is out of Fringe. Um, that's, mm-hmm. he's, I first found him in Fringe. There was someone else that I saw the other day, but so many of the characters, I, if you haven't watched Fringe, I highly recommend it because I, I'm a little worried that that's where they're going with Red for those that know how Fringe ends. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. I. What happens? Um, basically, cause the, the, the premise of it in, in the nutshell, it's, I'm going to give you the very, very quick mm. premise, is that Walter Bishop, the, um, uh, it's John Noble plays him. Uh, so Walter is a... Oh, Walter Bishop is a character in The Blacklist, too. It's the guy who was procuring the drugs for uh, <laughs> Luther Braxton. Which is hilarious, because Walter, like, he's a druggie. I mean, like, he's he's... Always there on acid. Go. Someone yeah. in the someone from the blacklist team loves French. I kid you oh, not. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Dong Nuff. Huh? Dong Nuff. Oh really? Yes, he does. He loves French. I could see that. Um, that makes so much sense. Anyway, but but Walter moved heaven and earth for his son. His son is not aware of this. They've been split apart for seventeen years. Walter's been in an insane asylum. Peter, his son, has is basically become a con artist. He's got an IQ of 190, doesn't hold down a job, con artist. And an FBI agent needs Walter, the dad, to, to help her in a case and can only get his help with the son. Basically, Walter will only talk to Peter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's how the little team gets built. Is the, And then Peter and the FBI agent eventually get together. But in the end of the, mo- of the show... Walter basically he doesn't die but he gives he gives his life up he ends up going into the future it's it's weird um it's it's a sci-fi show um but he he gives up his life so that his son his daughter-in-law and their child can live normal lives can Mm. survive the world won't end and they can survive he gives Mm. his life up for his family I'm a little worried that's going to come down to that with Red. I just don't want him to die. Like, he can fake his death. I just don't want him to really die. <laughs> I I don't. I don't like killing my darlings for any writers out mm. there. <laughs> I don't know. I think that, that um, I, th- I will give it a 50-50 chance there. I, yeah, I will too. But I, I'm hoping they don't. But anyway, I, I've been seeing that for a while, but going back through the rewatch of Fringe, I'm like, there's so many parallels. It's There's actually an episode that I just ran across in which this guy is, he has these premonitions, quote unquote, mm-hmm. of, um, of these terrible things that are happening, and he puts them down in artwork. And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy. God's talking to me. Maybe I'm losing my mind. And then you find out that he's got some weird, like, stuff in his bloodstream that basically makes him like a living walkie talkie and he's overhearing this and I'm going the little girl with the panic 
but there's someone on the writing team. <laughs> and I love it because you take all your favorite things and they inspire you. It's mm-hmm. like that's it's so much fun to see people do that. Because, I mean, I know I do it. Everybody does it. It's it's fun. And it's such a... They, it's a nod. Yeah. It's a nod it and, and they become like, uh, you know, it's your little inside jokes that you can find yeah. like years later. Like I still, I, I, I was an avid watcher of the X-Files and I still rewatch it once in a while. And boy, like, oh, look, I missed that thing and I missed the other. I st- I'm still finding things on the you, blacklist. You would love Fringe. I highly recommend Fringe to you. It's lots of twists and turns. Gorgeous. I will try. I will try. Uh, the, 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 we, we did not go on on, on, on Tom. Um, I find very interesting in all these twists in, in that we're having with Red and with Tom, now both are out of kilter, that at no point has Tom ever doubted that what Red says about about Susan is right. He has actually trusted Red. And he's trusting him fully. Liz trusts that what Red told him about Scotty being his mother is true, but she's not trusting him on not telling Scotty. Which goes back to Liz needs answers. Above mm-hmm. all, Liz, Liz needs honesty. And so, I mean, and she's probably thinking, what if Agnes had been separated from us for 30 years? I would, you know, regardless of where I was, I would want my daughter to come find me. You know, I mean, she's probably thinking of it at least in part from a mother's mm-hmm. point of view. Exactly. Or, or what if I were to find my mother? Yeah. And, and what, what, if, what if I knew or my mother knew that she's my mother and she didn't tell me, which very well be if my theory pans out, you know, she would be like, parallel. Yeah, and and I, it'll be interesting because this will be the second time Tom has basically gone undercover in family. Because first yes. time was with Liz. I'll be interested to see how Liz reacts to this. Because while on one level, I think that she's probably going to be like, "Cool, just don't die. You know, don't get shot. Have a good day at work, honey. You know, <laughs> I'll try not to get you shot. You try not to get shot, and we'll both come home for dinner." Um, it'll also be interesting if they bring that up. The He's basically playing his mother, you know, that, that he's running a con on her mm-hmm. to find out more. But then again, one, going back, Liz needs honesty. And if she's looking for a way for him to be able to trust Scotty, I could he see her getting behind it. Yeah, it's it's means to the ends. Yeah. And, and also, we, we do not know why Red says these things, because sometimes, I mean, I know Red loves coming off as omniscient and infallible, but he's neither. He's pretty good, but he's not God. So, you know, he may be off. He may be going on what Howard thinks, because I have a feeling that this fake death is a little off between Red and Howard. Yeah, there's something... I, I'm also not entirely sure Red wasn't involved in Howard's fake death. Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was. In fact, I'm beginning to to create some some scenarios here in which actually Tom's disappearance, because one thing that it's not easy to see from that um, from the whole narrative that we've had about Tom, is that he disappeared. Game ends up in prison, and time later, 
after he's in prison, he confesses because he's been in prison with an incurable, very contagious disease that, you know, so he's been monitored for years and then he confesses to that murder. So we're not talking about 1988 when he disappeared. We're talking probably a few, three, four years into into the future. He's been He's been arrested. He's been convicted of other things. They found that he's been chopping up people in in the in the shop, probably little boys. Which brings me around to a point that I want to make. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for setting that up, Tessa. Go <laughs> right ahead. So I spotted something. It was a, and I think it was meant as a as a joke, as as a funny thing. Um, but it was um. This is how. Well, it basically says anybody who, who, um, you know, Tom doesn't treat old ladies kindly. Yeah, it, to us. It, yeah, it showed a picture of Red hugging an old lady, and it Apollonia, the, yeah. the webster that he loves and makes a paxi, uh with uh, the rose water. And and Tom pulling the gun out, which, by the way, he never even aims at Games's mother. Just want to point that out there. Um. You know, and this is how Tom treats old ladies. And that was a disagreeable old, you know, that was a very disagreeable old lady. And that's, that was my big point, is that you've got a friend, you know, you're not going to pull a gun on a friend. And it's not like Red has never pulled a gun on a woman before. In fact, he's pulled a gun yeah, on several women done. and a few that he fires at and kills. Um, or tortures. <laughs> or tortures, yeah. Red is not above hurting women. I, I love Reddington. He is one of my favorites out of the show. He's my favorite. He does. He's not a saint. He's not a teddy bear. He's not a saint. I would hate him if he were. It would be boring. No, it would be boring. (laughs) Very boring. It would be boring, right? We're sick. Let him be bad. Otherwise, he'd be boring. I would be really bored if Red were a saint. Um, Give me my tortured soul, Red. Um, But anyway. Or torturing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He's tortured. He's torturing. That's what Red does. Um, Regardless. You've got something interesting that I, I saw with this is that you've got Tom, and this woman is not innocent. There, there's a lot of talk about who, you know, Tom Keen kills innocent people. Tom Keen goes after innocent people. She's not innocent. She was, at the very least, helped bury a lead, actively helped bury a lead that ended an investigation that could have saved a little boy. They could have brought a little boy home. They were looking for him until it came out that someone confessed to his quote-unquote murder. And she was a part of that, a huge part of that. They couldn't have gotten that script to the guy. And she did it for money. It's not like her child was threatened. Her child was a mass or was a, a serial killer. Serial killer that that she actually said deserved to be in jail because he was an awful person. And so she let him take the fall and took all the money. $100,000. And so out of greed, she screwed a kid over. That's who this woman is. She's not a good person. She's not a happy soul. She's not even a medium gray character. That's just crappy. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I feel very strongly about this. Um... I honestly did not not feel as strongly until this came on. (laughs) But, and then you've got Tom, who 
Now, don't get me wrong. Back if this were season two, Tom, he probably would have shot her and walked off. Um, <laughs> thankfully, he has a child. He's a much he, he's evening out on on who he just shoots. Um, Red shot her. Red would have shot her. Yeah. Um, I would not have been trouble if if Tom had shot her. But... I would have, but that's only because he's he's still on his redemption arc. It would have set him back. Uh, he he needs to do good things. Um, and that's. That's my point, is that he he was the bigger man here. He pulled it out. He pulled the gun out because she was calling the cops. Stopped her from calling the cops. Never aimed it at her. Probably never even took the safety off. Keeps it down by his leg and reaches out to her. And his voice gets very gentle as he's talking to her and saying, You had a sick son. The, and, and, you know, people were offering him. And, like, works her through it and eases her into this confession. He's not threatening her. There's nothing... Besides the fact that he has a gun in his hand, that's the only threatening thing. Like, everything about his body language is actually very kind and encouraging. To such an awful lady. Yeah, and this is someone who basically helped ruin his life. He has Mm -hmm. been... I mean, we've gone over the stuff that we know in canon that has been done to him as a child, as a young adult... Not to mention the stuff that they've alluded very strongly to, that it sounds like he was in very bad homes and probably abused growing up. Very traumatic things happening to this little three-year-old being taken from his home. Okay, so this he finds this woman and finds out that that she had a part in this. Yeah, I, I thought also it was very interesting there because... This, again, this happened not in 1988 when he goes missing. This is years later. So that means that that investigation was going on. So the objective of this of this um, $100,000 uh, bribe on this horrible woman uh, was to stop the investigation and put a lid on it. So I think either one of... I can see three scenarios, and I don't know what you think, if you can find another scenario to fit in here. One of the scenarios could be that whoever whoever got Tom got him to protect him. And if they couldn't squash that investigation, the whole object of protecting him was gone because people didn't know, you know, they, they, they if somebody was trying to get to him to get Dower or Scotty to do something they would know that they just had to keep looking. Mm -hmm. The second thing that occurs to me is that the person who had him thought we need to finish this. And the third thing that occurs to me is that Scotty may have had some things that if they started to investigate in her direction, they would not be kind to her. That's possible. Can you think of another... Uh, one, one, one other possibility is that the original intention was to kill him, was to take him and to kill him, and that he got away, and that he was when found. They said, but when they said that they, that they kill him. To shut it up, so that, you know, he's lost, he's gone, well, don't let the, you know, don't let the investigation come back on the people that... Oh, because then it would it would have it would have basically denied that they wanted to kill him for something. Yeah, like if they found Tom in the foster system, if they found little Christopher in the foster system, 
and he could lead them back to the people that took him, basically. Yeah. And so just let him be lost, let it die, you know. And Yeah, because once they declare him dead, they wouldn't even be yeah. comparing a, a child in the system to a dead child because he's dead. I mean, the guy confessed. Yeah. That's it. The, the investigation is closed. That's the reason why they, you know, you always been said, like, how come Scotty couldn't find him? And I think that's the reason. Yeah. It's because she thought him dead. Now, I'll be very curious. The uh, the previews for Redemption, they're standing over a grave and she says, welcome to the family. I'm wondering if it's Christopher or if it's Howard's grave. You. Or it would both. Be or they're or together. Both. <laughs> yeah, they're together. Family faking their death together. You're not in the family until you don't have a tombstone. <laughs> Liz has one. Tom has one. Howard has one. Come on, Scotty. <laughs> Get on it, Scotty. Yeah. I mean, we know Katarina probably has one. Somewhere. Probably has several. <laughs> well, if my theory is correct and she had more than one identity when she disappeared as Katarina Rostova, she also had to disappear as the others. So I'm sure that there is a bunch of tombstones everywhere. Yeah. With all her That's, identities. But anyway, I the, the whole point was that I, I feel like glossing over that scene doesn't do the writing justice. It doesn't do the character justice. You can hate Tom all day long. I mean, like, I, I'm sad for you because I feel like that loathing any of these characters kind of I feel like it, you know, you can't enjoy it nearly as much if you're busy hating on somebody instead of loving the show. But regardless, uh, you know, like him or hate him or whatever, anything in between, it's still, it, w it was a very deep scene when you take a look at it. Mm -hmm. And glossing over that and just flippantly saying, look, he's abusing old women. It's... The, the only innocent that he killed, if you want to call him innocent, I got my, my theories about that innocence of, of is Eugene Ames. Yeah. Ames. And I got, I don't, I'm not quite convinced that he was the innocent little cop, just happened I, to be in the wrong place. Yeah. I, I'm sure that Tom, as various other people, has killed quite a few innocent people before meeting Liz. Mm -hmm. I, I would not, I mean, he was a means to the end sort of guy. Um, I, I don't put it past him. I don't think he's got a clean slate. Um, I don't think so. But but if you really I, look at the the, the 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 ops that we have known that he has done, there'd be more protective or investigative work. I was gonna say, but killing. I also I also don't think that killing is his go-to. He's not no. an assassin. He's not. I mean, he can be, but he's a covert operative. Yeah, I, but the, yeah, I, it's like getting a surgeon, getting a brain surgeon to remove a zit. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an overkill. I mean, sure, he can do it, but why? Yeah. So, so I'll be very interested to see where it goes from here. I, I'm curious to see where he's going to even out, how Howard's presence is going to even him out and steady him out. Because he's going to have to get to that point where he's steady if he's going to do the job right in Redemption. He has started with one very interesting step towards becoming, because it almost felt that, that Tom was never an adult, because Tom was never a child. Yeah. And by, he marries Liz, he's a father now. And I think that this warming up towards Red has, he has become a bit, he's taking Red as a father figure. He's excited. 
he, you know, he's, hey, I get to be legat. Um, you know, he's the gold standard when it comes to assassins. And to find out that, you know, the gold standard is actually his, his, his he doesn't know his father-in-law, or maybe he does. But to, to know this, and now he's beginning, you know, he goes to Red for, for questions. He goes to, to Red, he takes Red advice and believes in him. So he has become, in a way, adopted Red as a father. And now he's going to go and adopt and, and Howard is going to come back in his life. So it's an interesting character development, I think. I think he's always been seeking out a father figure. He had, he thought Bud, Bud. but he would never, he would never admit it. But I mean, no one else calls him Bud. It took me a while to figure, to, to decide for sure he was calling him Bud and it wasn't just like him swallowing bills somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I rewatched, I rewatched, I rewatched, and he's calling him Bud. Mm-hmm. Gina doesn't call him Bud. Red doesn't call him Bud. Nobody calls McCready Bud except for Tom. Tom talks about how how McCready raised him, how, you know, he expects that to somehow buy him some favor when McCready feels betrayed Save by his him. life. Yeah, and so he... Whether either of them admitted it or not, Tom felt... And then he also did not go after McCready when he knew McCready was coming after him. He Mm -hmm. could have just gone in and dealt with the the issue. And yet he kept hoping that McCready would just go away and leave, let him be. And I think it's because he saw him as a father figure. And so McCready dies. He legitimately has to bury the man on the day of his wedding. Um... And, I mean, then we have Red passing the gun that same day. It's, it's, and he is his father-in-law. For all intents and purposes, he is his father-in-law. So, it's, he needs, and we talked about it, some friends and I talked about potentially um, Cooper being, you know, coming towards Mm -hmm. that eventually. And, it's kind of like Liz. Liz has a bunch of father figures. She's got Cooper. Mm-hmm. She's got Red. I mean, and so I, I don't begrudge Tom some because, good heavens, the man needs a good solid father figure somewhere. I'm not sure Red's a good solid father figure, but, you know, it's in, in part C. He, he did say he cared about Tom. He covered it up later nicely, but he did say he, co- he oh, cared for him. Hey, hey, take what we can get at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. You have anything to add? I do not. I am excited about next week. It's going to be. We are going to do a probably long podcast yeah. because uh, we're going to cover both shows. I actually took the day off of work because I don't expect to sleep that night, <laughs> and I do expect to have a very long podcast. And I mean, we we both do rewatches before doing the podcast to make sure we have as much down as we can and so and, and we might we might hours. separate them depending on how it goes we might do two podcast posts uh, you know near the same days or we might mix them up it all depends on how it goes because until we go we see how it goes we can see how it goes and you never know it may just be like one long two-hour episode mm-hmm. there may not be much of a split in it who knows yes. uh, we they continue to surprise me in all the right ways yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward, so I hope that you um, are also, and you will join us next week. Right, and you can catch us on Facebook, uh, leave messages on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, 
And then our podcast is on iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. And so please feel free to leave us any messages, uh, good, bad, or anywhere in between. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, and we're, we're happy to take questions and talk about things. It, hey, even if you disagree with us, we promise we don't bite. So hope to see you next week. All right. You guys have a good week. Bye. Bye.